Hey, everybody, and welcome to The After Show. This is the new podcast featuring myself, Michael Rose, and the inimitable Kelly Gumont. Uh, you may recall, <laughs> you may know us from such podcasts as the unofficial <laughs> Apple Weblog Talkcast and other podcasts that we have been on. Um, Kelly and I have uh, been doing live podcasts together for mm, several years. Going a on really f- long time. A really long time. So how you doing, Kelly? I'm not too bad. How are you? I'm okay. I'm fighting a little uh, couple of health issues over this past couple weeks. Um, I will I will let our audience know that if you're of an age where it would be appropriate for you to get the shingles vaccine, may I recommend that you do it uh, just to <laughs> reduce your chances of dealing with what I'm dealing with. It's, no, it's not fun. It's not a pleasant experience, but but I'm much better. Thank you. So we don't have to not recommend it. I'll keep that in mind. Keep that in mind. Yeah, we okay. don't really want to bring everybody down in the first five minutes, which we will continue to do, by the way. That's coming right up. So yeah. don't, don't get comfortable. We're waiting for minute six, just <laughs> so everybody's clear. How are you doing? I'm not too bad. You had, uh, you had some... We've had some nicer weather here this mm-hmm. week, so... And you had Finally. some you had some busyness in the past couple of weeks with uh, with the App Camp for Girls program with uh, yourself and Jean McDonald and the rest of the team that puts that together. Yes, uh, we two weeks ago we had App Camp for Girls Portland uh, the first session, and then last week was App Camp for Girls in Seattle. And the reason that that's notable is because it's the first time that we've sort of had non Portland people put on a camp, but. Portland isn't far from Seattle for people who aren't necessarily great with geography. I could get in my car in Portland right now and be in Seattle in about three hours. So it was the kind of thing where we could be there. And so a couple of folks from Portland uh, went to Seattle for the week to sort of be around in an advisory capacity, but primarily wanted it to be something where um, the, the folks in Seattle ran with it. And the folks in Seattle ran with it, and it was great. And so uh, this summer, as I kept saying to Jean, uh, this summer Seattle, next summer the world. So we've learned what it takes to export App Camp, and of course learned a ton. And uh, our second Portland session starts uh, this coming Monday, a few days from now, and it's going to be amazing. And it's going to be a crazy amount of work, and we're all going to be a mess at the end of it. And we're all going to—it's—it's it's the kind of thing that you know you're onto something when you get home at the end of the day. And you're super tired. And if you're somebody like me who primarily works out of your house when you have a job, hire Kelly, um, <laughs> then um, you don't spend a lot of time talking to people. So when you talk to people all day, it takes a lot of energy and you end up sounding kind of rough around the edges at the end of the day. And yeah. you get home and you sit on the couch and you go, that was awesome. I can't wait to go back tomorrow. That's when you know you're on to something awesome. And that's what we get to do for a week. And it's amazing. It's going to be so much fun. And I love the creativity of everybody. And we build an app in a week for people who aren't familiar. Which, uh, which we build challenging for, you know, grown established programmer yes. types and you're doing it. With, right. With so we start with a template. We have a quiz app mm-hmm. and there's a, there's a quiz and uh, the girls develop all the questions, all the answers, all the results. We explain to them how the grading works. And then They can put in whatever artwork they want. They have to design the app icon. They can decide what the buttons look like. Do I want four giant buttons? Do I want a nice narrow button with a text label on it? Uh, They get to decide what color everything is. Uh, They draw art and we scan it in. We get some really cool scan snap scanners. 
And we do all kinds of, you know, we, we give them from zero. They start with the template of question one, ABCD, question two, ABCD. And they have to bust out Xcode, type in all their questions, type in all their answers, look at how all the stuff connects together, figure out the spot where Nat, our lead developer, uh, secretly inserted a piece of code that intentionally does not work and will crash the app. They have to find it. They have to fix it. And at the end of the week, each of the teams, there's four girls to a team, and each of the teams presents their app and their marketing plan for their app to a panel of investors. And there's no winning. It's just sort of taking somebody, taking a group of people through all the phases of app development. We start with ideas and then they actually build something. And then once they've got it tested and working on their iPods, we have iPod touches for each girl for the week. Uh, then at the at the end of the week, they have to present that app to other people. We want to tell you about this to see if you want to invest in it. And I love getting to do it. And part of it is the excitement in everybody when they realize that there is a whole job in iOS development for somebody who is an artist mm -hmm. or somebody who really likes to just push all the buttons they're not supposed to push and figure <laughs> out how it's going to all fall apart. We call and, that QA folks. That's, that's, the yes, we there. love QA and, and there, and every, every time we have a session, there's always, there's a moment for at least one of the girls uh, in the room when we move to the next phase where there's, there's, a couple of girls who just, all I want to do in life now is type in Xcode. And there's a couple of girls who realize that there's a whole iOS development job in drawing all the stuff that shows up on the iPhone. Like I could be the person who drew every single Angry Bird and the next Angry Birds. And, you know, that could be something I was responsible for. And that's an entire job in itself. And somebody who helps keep everyone on track and, you know, figuring out that, that we can expose them to so many pieces of app development that aren't just sitting alone hunched over a laptop. Which is important too, let us not forget. Right. But that's not the only thing. When people think of development, that's usually the part that they think of. Mm -hmm. And so we show them a lot of other ways that that happens. And we also try to have a field trip. Uh, we did a field trip to Urban Airship last month. And this month, I think um, we're going to go to Panic Software again. And uh, we get to go see what a functioning software business looks like. And for people who don't know what the Urban Airship or the Panic offices look like, uh, go look at that. Because the other thing that I really like about the field trips is that we are sort of ruining these girls forever <laughs> for a standard issue cubicle. That's just not fair. It warms my heart that they're like, that, that you know, at some point, you know, they're going to sit and, and behold a cube farm and be like, I don't want to do that. And I really like to think that there's that that's going to happen in some capacity someday. But it's it's an exciting thing. I love that um, Gene McDonald, uh, who used to be of Smile Software, uh, left Smile to do App Camp for Girls full time because she really believes in this idea. And it was her idea. She was sitting at WWDC 2012 and realized she was sitting in a room that held 5,000 people and couldn't see another woman from where she was sitting and decided to do something about it. And her doing something was building app camp, not just writing a blog post and complaining or um, telling anyone who will listen how terrible it is that this is the way things are. She still does that. And I still <laughs> do that, but we're also sort of putting our money where our mouths are and, building something 
that will help create the opportunity because a lot of these girls, like, you know, they, they find out about iOS development. And so we don't expect everyone who comes to app camp to graduate with a computer science degree. That would be awesome, but we don't expect it. And, but they may think about the possibility of doing something technologically related as part of their entire career. Right. You know, somebody who goes on to become a graphic artist and is one of those people who just does amazing things with a Cintiq tablet, you know. Well, and what I think is really interesting now is that you guys are um, – you're creating the DNA or extracting the DNA of the program and trying to allow people to replicate it, to clone it, and to uh, stand it up in their own communities and in their own locations, which is obvi- – I mean it's obviously the way that it has to grow because there's only one of G and there's only one of you and there's only – you know, there's only so much bandwidth that the the core team can have. But I right. think But I think that it's fascinating that you're – that that is happening so quickly, uh, relatively <laughs> speaking. That, that, yes, that well, we didn't have a choice. Now. Oh, that, okay. That, that was not helps. an option. <laughs> that was not an option because basically every time somebody who doesn't live in Portland hears about it, they say, when are you going to do this where I live? Yeah, like New York. <clears throat> yes. Yeah. Well, yeah, I know. I'll it's sign coming. up. I'll it's sign coming. up to come do App Camp Brooklyn. That's fine with me. <laughs> um, we, we were actually sort of joking about uh, when we were going to do – you know, what what sort of selection criteria were we going to have for App Camp Honolulu? Oh, man. And uh, <laughs> so, yeah, so I'll throw down for App Camp Brooklyn. We can make that happen. Uh, we always are looking for volunteers. If you're somebody who thinks that you want to bring this to your city, then absolutely come to um, App Camp for Girls, number four, appcamp4girls.com. And fill out the form and let us know that you want to coordinate in the city where you live, and we can uh, see what we can do to make that happen. Yeah, and and it's it's an incredible program, and it's interesting to me how just how much um, attention, how much energy is behind not only App Camp for Girls but Girls Who Code and other other mm-hmm. similar programs. And it does feel like we've reached a um, we've reached an event horizon of sorts with the involvement in of young women in in technology and in computers where it is no longer possible to to look back and say or to turn it around and say well there there's this is not going to happen you know we're not going to see a change in the way that um that this industry and this this discipline this skill set how it relates to young women um mm-hmm. we've con- we've we've actually gone too far now we actually are are past the point of of going back to uh, acceptance of of the the previous status quo, and what was really interesting to me is I went to um, I went to see um, Zach Sims, who is the founder of Code Academy. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw him speak uh, a week and a half ago in New York. He he was at um, he was speaking at App Nexus, which is a a, a a digital advertising platform company that um, that I work with. Uh, that they're actually a client. Um, but that's not, that's not important right now. What is important is that, (laughs) is that they hosted Zach for a lecture. And this was one of the only technology related events I've ever been to with a 50, 50 gender ratio. Oh, wow. And part of the reason for that, which I didn't realize at the time is that, uh, app Nexus shares some of its space with girls who code. So there was a tremendous, there was a tremendous population of the girls who code at that event. Now, 
Number one, that makes perfect sense because Zach Sims is someone who is in the business of helping teach people to code. That's what his company does. Number two, it also doesn't hurt that he's like, you know, a younger entrepreneurial uh, Brad Pitt, slightly shorter dude, Um, (laughs) which would attract all sorts of people, not just girls who code. But um, but it was notable. I was like, oh, I get it. So this is this is what this is what the how the central castings idea of a, you know, an entrepreneur uh, looks yes. like, and that's exactly what it, what he looks like is is that guy. Um, but he was great; he was very charming. And it, and again, it was it was a an eye opener for me to see the enthusiasm, to see the level of involvement um, as the as a dad of girls who do not yet code, um, but who I keep trying. Mm-hmm. Like I leave the you know code your own computer games in Python book lying around hoping it'll <laughs> osmotically get into their brains um you know it's like hey look scratch isn't this interesting yeah let me play minecraft uh, all right um but but i so think so i'm going to give you a recommendation for your girls and you i are. think pixel press yes. is a thing that they may get into we've talked about this at one point or another on the on the other show on the show yes because pixel press mm-hmm. um lets you draw your own platformer levels it's sort of like right you make the you make the it's mm -hmm. like the graph paper games yeah so you lay everything out on graph paper and they have certain symbols that you draw for different things and then you take a picture picture, oh right 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 and it translates that into a level and here's the best part of it is that you can play that level when you're done and you can send it to your friends and let your friends play that level and it teaches a lot about Particularly if you're somebody interested in game development, it teaches you about playability. Like there's too easy, which is boring, and there's too hard, which is also boring because then I'm just going to give up. So it has to be just hard enough that like you really want to try, but you feel like you're so close. I just need one more guy and I can totally do it. And all of that kind of stuff is amazing. And I love I love what they've done because they're the same kind of kids that I used to be, which was when I wasn't playing Nintendo I was drawing the Nintendo game I wanted to play. Yep. Well, we're going to have, we're definitely going to have a link to Pixel Press in the show notes. Said show notes to be hosted on a website to be determined <laughs> at some point. Um, we are, we are doing this a little bit by the seat of our pants. Speaking of doing things by the seat of our pants and, yes. and, and the nature, the improvisational nature of the, of the universe. Um, as we, as we record this, it's only a couple days past uh, the passing of Robin Williams. And I think certainly I was surprised, Mm -hmm. surprised, shocked and surprised. I was trying to make a new (laughs) word there as I was saying, um, certainly I was surprised at the depth of the, uh, outpouring of memories of grief of, of moments where, where he had touched Mm -hmm. people's lives. There's a great piece. Uh, I think, I think it was on Medium. I'll have to track it down where um, one of the guys who was a writer, one original writer on Homicide, on the television show Homicide, oh, yeah. uh, told the story of, of when Robin Williams was the guest star on on the oh, pr- yeah. premiere episode of the of the very, very small order for the second season, which basically wasn't supposed to happen, and how yeah. and how his presence essentially changed changed several people's lives just by him doing that show. Uh, there was a, um, there's a wonderful remembrance from, uh, that's on vulture.com, the New York magazine site about from the guy, the comedian who was booking responsible for booking an upright citizens brigade show and the night Robin Williams showed up to do it. Um, 
but it got me thinking. Everybody has that story, it but, seems. Well, yeah, because this is a guy who was, who was, a, who was in the business and who was such a, a force of nature for so long. Um, but he was immeasurably kind. Like a lot of people, when, when, somebody, when a celebrity passes away, particularly somebody who's very well-known mm-hmm. and has been well-known for a very long time, you, you get a lot of, oh, it's very sad this person's gone. Oh, it's, you know, oh, it's, it's very sad. They're no longer with us. You know, you get those kind of things. But I don't rem- – in recent memory, I don't recall hearing so many people come out and say, here was a time when, ro- when the person who recently passed away was immeasurably kind to me. Yeah. I mean that's – when you look at – and it's unfair to compare, but you know, Lauren Bacall also passed away this week and a number of people's she memories did. of her were, were of when she was you know, snarky or, or funny or mm-hmm. mean – but not when she had done, you know, done somewhat, done a kindness or, or helped someone. And almost every Robin Williams story was exactly that, which you described. And there's mm-hmm. you know, the story of him uh, barging into Christopher Reeve's hospital room. Ugh, in the scrubs. In the scrubs. With the, and the mask. And the mask and a heavy Russian accent. Uh, and that, I mean, that that's the one thing that did that I did bristle a little bit at. You know, as a, as an improviser, as someone who has has studied improv- improvisation and performed as an improviser, worked as an improviser, and also performed as a stand up comic, um, it it was a little frustrating to me to see so much reference, or I think it was Russell Brand's piece that he that he wrote his remembrance where he talked about this sort of un untrained, unfiltered talent. Yes, certainly that was Robin Williams, but also the guy went to Juilliard. You know, he he worked yes. really, really hard to become uh, that talent, and he worked really, really hard to at, at being an actor and being a performer. The fact that his brain worked differently than everybody else's is is undeniable. But he worked very hard to make that that happen. So, but that aside, the point I think is that we were we were both kind of surprised by that. Um, Definitely by the way that that. Uh, sort of wave of, of remembrance and affection rolled out. Um, there have been some interesting social media, uh, rough edges that have (laughs) occurred with, uh, with Robin Williams passing, uh, his daughter apparently, uh, she left the internet. She left Twitter and Instagram because people were trolls and, that. I'm not even going to give any airtime to what it was that they were doing, but people were horrible to her. Yeah, people were awful to her. A and- girl whose father had just died. And for people who have any doubt and are perhaps wondering about her name, Robin Williams himself came out and said that his daughter is named Zelda as in the legend of. <laughs> she is named after the princess from that video game. Not Zelda Fitzgerald. Right. Um, That's where the name came from. There was a Nintendo ad a few years ago for one of the handhelds that Nintendo put out and they were playing together. And he, and it's something that I think he mentions in part of the commercial is, you know, you're named after the princess in this game, something like that. And so, and you know, there, there's, there, one of the other pieces that came out a lot about him was uh, people sharing pictures of the time he came to the game store where they hang out or the game store where they worked or the bike store yeah. And the bike store. Yeah. I, I think one of my one of my favorite stories that, that was told about him was uh that he bought Conan O'Brien a bicycle. <laughs> because Conan liked to ride his bike and and of course Robin Williams we know did. And uh 
he said that it was a bright orange bicycle with green shamrocks all over it. And he said, so think for a minute about that bicycle. Now think for a minute about Conan O'Brien riding it around. And he said he called Robin Williams and was, was trying to thank him for it. He said, okay, I just really want to know one thing. Um, Cause it was, he, I'm trying to remember how Conan O'Brien put it in a, in a moment of monumental understatement, he said, I had a rough patch about five years ago yeah. that was sort of public. <laughs> so that's what he's talking about. And so this this bite, this package shows up at his house with delivery people, and it turns out to be this this bright orange bicycle covered in shamrocks. And he calls and he you know, he finds out it's from Robin Williams. He calls Robin Williams and he says, you know, he says, Thank you. And then Robin Williams says, Tell me something. Is it a ridiculous looking bike? And Conan goes, yeah, it looks ridiculous. And he says, and do you look stupid riding it? <laughs> Conan said, yeah. And he just laughed. And I just thought, like, that was a moment that that really stood out for me was, do you look stupid riding it? And just it warmed his heart to know that that was happening somewhere. I don't know. His grand plan had worked. Yes. It's, <laughs> I find that one so pleasing. Um, the other sort of dark corner of the social media reaction to speaking robin, of twitter speaking of twitter <laughs> um of of robin williams of the reaction to robin williams death uh apparently the i don't know whether they were the originator of this tweet uh although it's possible that they were but the very popular still frame from aladdin uh showing aladdin and the genie hugging oh, yes uh, and and the the line of the, the actual line of dialogue or or the the sentiment from that moment in the film is genie you're free genie you're free uh and uh, the academy oh. of motion picture arts and sciences tweeted that picture and obviously along with many other people um <laughs> this is this is a problem for the american foundation for suicide prevention uh because it it goes right up to the line of what you exactly what you are not supposed to say about someone about someone's uh taking of their own life yes uh it, which which is fascinating i mean tragic and weird and sentimental and i know they meant well yeah <laughs> and so much of what goes wrong on social media comes down to i'm sure they meant well i'm you know the what was it the phone the the uh the Chinese phone manufacturer who suggested that their early pre-release units for their new phone would be given out to the female members of the, of their forum who posted pictures of themselves with the, the logo, logo on, on their bodies. Yeah. You yeah. know, you, I, I'm sure someone thought it was a good idea, but yeah. <laughs> you didn't think it all the way through. That's the other, that's the backhand of the social media, uh, it is swift and merciless. It is. It will come at you like a very small digital freight train. Um, you know, one of the other things we want to talk about, of course, it's it's sort of all grim and sadness this week. Welcome to our new podcast. <laughs> Here's Yay! your Zoloft. Our, this show is sponsored by Zoloft. Zoloft. Yes. It won't make you feel so horrible. Um, uh, of course, in Ferguson, Missouri, this week, uh, there has been – a tremendous amount of of unrest of protests following the death the shooting death of Michael Brown uh who's a young a young African American man who was killed uh in a in an encounter I don't even want to say a confrontation with uh local police and one of the things there that's been 
you know, again, we're, this is not a news podcast. We're going to do this once a week. Uh, breaking news. If you're coming to us for breaking news, um, I encourage you to possibly come down from your hermit uh, retreat at the top of your mountaintop uh, plateau and possibly find some other sources of, of news <laughs> that may be a little more current. But there, there may be one or two out there. I'm sure possible. you can find them. It's possible. But it, but it is it was interesting to see once again how um, challenging it can be for Twitter and social media in general as a breaking news source because there's no or very few standards of reliability and referenceability. Uh, I went to bed. I guess it was last night. So today's Thursday. This was this was Wednesday night, uh, August twelfth, and I woke up Thursday morning and I happened to look at my Twitter feed and it was essentially six solid hours of people reporting and re-reporting and retweeting and commenting on what was going on in Ferguson, and being able to scan it after the fact, it became very clear that a lot of what people were doing was looking at a live stream that had actually reset and gone back to the beginning. So they were re-reporting stuff as though it were happening live. Right. Even though it was, you know, an hour not. Or, or not, it was not live. Yeah. And and so, you know, what, what is there, what is there to be done about that? I mean, what, or is there anything to be done about that? Can we start to uh, help people make better choices about how they filter and, and rebroadcast information? Or are we condemned to live in a, universe where Facebook Messenger uh, gives you bed bugs and saps your vital bodily fluids. And I know it's so because I read it on the internet. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Which is, is possible. Um, I read it on Wikipedia, so I know it's true. Um, no. Uh, I think the other the other thing to me that has been really interesting about about Ferguson, aside from the fact that it's it's horrible and you know, there's really some some brutal conversations that need to be had about this. And there are some people who are really going to need to get over their desire for political correctness and just sort of put on a helmet and wade into this conversation because it's not going to be pretty and it's totally time that it happened. But what's interesting to me has been the amount of reporting I have seen on television versus or in a newspaper Versus the amount of reporting I have seen personally, like in my Facebook feed, which for a, a while, apparently people were saying there was zero that was showing up on Facebook. Um, but all the stuff that's showing up on Twitter, people who are on the ground with an iPhone trying to set up a live streaming account so that they can they can actually broadcast what's happening on the ground. And the fact that they have that capability like is is. Uh, is great and terrible. I think it depends on which side of the camera you are on, which part of this is the part that that is the concerning part. Um, so I'm really, I'm sort of nervous about how this is all going to go down because there's still a chance that it could end slightly less badly for everybody. Mm. And I really want it to, um, but it's not like it's going to end well. That's just not going to happen. But it could end in a less bad way than than maybe it looks like now. And uh, who the, I don't remember which publication it was the reporter was arrested from. I want to say it was the it, Washington Post. It was, uh, it was well, there were a couple of them. One of them was a Huffington Post uh, justice team. 
Yeah. Not Justice League, but he works in the <laughs> Justice section. Yeah, it, it was yeah. Um, another one, a print reporter. Um, yeah, and I, I think it might it might well have been the Washington Post. I think it was the Washington Post, and the Washington Post came out today and said, we've had reporters arrested in two cities this year. They are Tehran and Ferguson, Missouri. Yeah, yeah. And that, and that it, 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 it was a particularly complex and in some ways social media perfect storm for, for what was going on in Ferguson because so much of what became the, the, the crisis point for the authorities there was the fact that they were trying obviously and rather ham-handedly trying to prevent people from documenting what was going on, what, what was happening exactly. in this paramilitary operation that was facing, uh, facing protesters and mm-hmm. to, <laughs> to see a television crew from Al Jazeera America that has their setup that is doing, you know, that is brought, that is filming on the side of the road. They've got their lights set up. There is yeah. a tear gas canister that is shot at them that causes them to run away. And then, Police officers, uniformed police officers, come and start taking down their equipment and pointing their camera at the ground, uh, unaware that there is another crew across the street that is filming them do this. Yeah. Um, you you have to shake your head a little bit and say, what what part of the the idea that the public is not allowed to document the the actions of of police officers or law enforcement where does that come from cuz it's not true right. it's not and additionally, it's not legal exactly and and the thing is even if even i i i was trying to get to the bottom of this for myself like reconcile it in my head maybe i don't agree with you but maybe i can see where you're coming from and i was thinking about it and all i could come up with was people who like I'm still under the impression that most of these police officers are Americans. And I would think that as an American, they are all. and I'm not <laughs> trying to be a patriotic, you know, raw, raw flag waving person. Like I look forward to your letters. Um, but as an American, I would think they would know, like, you're not supposed to be able to do that. And, you know, you're not supposed to come keep the news from broadcasting the news. Like to me, that's just a sense, a common sense sort of a thing, which is really what makes me wonder about what on earth is happening in Missouri that any of that, because it was more than one police officer. So it makes yeah. me wonder what the institution has, has given or done to them that this is what they think is okay. Yeah, that's what's weird. I mean, the the fact is that there are very, very, very few circumstances where that would be where it's legitimate to do that. And you can right. imagine, you can try to imagine. Okay, if the cops, if there is a police operation that is surrounding a building where you know there's a hostage situation and they're they're about to you know try to breach into the building and rescue hostages, and you have you know a bunch of people live streaming from the sidewalk, that's that's a potential problem. Because right. there's a, there is a threat to public safety because there is a there is a very specific reason that the 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 actual tactical activities on the ground should not be broadcast. filmed or documented broadcast. This is not that. This no, is, this is not that situation. You can't uh, even see that from where they are yeah, right it's now. It's not. It's not local. <laughs> so so I'm sure it's going to continue to to shake out and to be a point of of conversation over the next few days. Obviously, we. We or I or we 
collectively uh, hope that the the situation in in Ferguson is resolved peacefully. Um, yes. That the, the family, the Brown family, gets uh, their the the justice that they're looking for, and that the community as a whole is able to uh, recover and heal from what's going on. But yes. We normally would be talking about technology at this moment. The fact is, it's the dog days of August. Uh, <laughs> we, we know that in the in the first week of September, September 9th, the day after my birthday, uh, there is going to be an Apple mobile device event. Which is some, going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome. We're very much looking forward to it. We know we have iOS 8 and Yosemite and other good stuff coming soon. Uh, mm -hmm. We now know, thanks to the New York Times, that... Uh, Apple University uh, uses as a lesson example the difference between the Google TV remote and the Apple TV remote, um, which is pretty hilarious. But all of that may have to wait for later in the week or next week because that's about all the time we have for this week. Kelly, where can our hypothetical listeners find you? <laughs> our, our listener. We have one, <laughs> right? So yeah. listener, here's where you um, – you can find me uh, writing news pieces over at the Mac Observer, at MacObserver.com, and you can find me on Twitter as Verso. And you can also find you occasionally writing for the unofficial Apple weblog at TUAW.com. That's true, occasionally. Every now and then. Um, yeah. You can find me also writing occasionally at the unofficial Apple weblog.com. You can find me on Twitter at Mike T. Rose. And you can find more about our show also on Twitter at the underscore after show, T-H-E underscore, not dash, but underscore after show. Uh, there is going to be a website of some sort associated with this program in the immediate future, presumably <laughs> before this this is actually aired. That's probably how you will find it. Um, but we will be certain to let you know. Um, I'm just looking at our Twitter profile right now for the after show, and we are Twitter user. This is so weird. <laughs> Two billion six two billion six hundred sixty four million six hundred forty two thousand four hundred and sixty two. So we somehow <laughs> got a Twitter user that only uses three different digits two six and four. Wow. Um, two four six. <laughs> I'm not sure what that says about us. There's something. There's something very, very even about it. Anyway, um, we will be. There's we, an even odd joke to be had here. I'm just not. I'm not quite finding it. I just know it's in there somewhere. We'll, we'll save it for the next show. Good to yes. talk to you, Kelly. Yes. And, and you as well. We will be back. Thanks for listening. This is where the music goes. <laughs> That's our sign off, everybody. This is where the music goes. This is where the music goes. <laughs>